welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's chapter is Acts chapter 15, and it is known as essentially the Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the brothers, uh, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is ready every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them, and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, 
If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Today's chapter is the, the Council of Jerusalem, which is, as you're going to find out if you're not familiar with this text, uh, this is a, a really a pivotal moment in the history of the church, probably happening in 48 or 49 AD in terms of chronology. So we're 18, 19, 20 years after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. And so the text starts with Paul and Barnabas at the end of their first missionary journey. They have landed in Antioch, not Pisidia Antioch up in Asia Minor, but this is the Antioch uh, just to the east of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, so much closer to Jerusalem than, than that journey had taken them. And men from other areas of Judea, and these are Christian men, right? They believe in Christ. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Salvation is in Jesus. They're not denying that part. But So they're Jewish Christians. They're teaching the brothers in the church at Antioch that if they're not circumcised, they can't be saved. This is the first question of our chapter today to talk to your kids about. Is this true? Is circumcision required to be saved? And you can change it, too. I mean, it doesn't have to be circumcision. You can say anything other than Jesus. It's a Jesus and faith that's being suggested here. Uh, And that's the part that's trouble. And we're going to see that as the text continues, but we'll come back to that again later. So keep that in mind. It's what the the whole debate's going to be over here. So Paul and Barnabas debate with them. They disagree with them to the point where the church appoints Paul and Barnabas to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders of the church and ask for their opinion to settle this debate for us. What's going on here? What's the answer? Should we Do we have to be circumcised to be saved or not? They want to be saved, and understandably, they're not exactly excited about the idea of being circumcised. It's not a prominent tool for outreach. Regardless, um, Paul and Barnabas go on their trip down to Jerusalem, Uh, The text says up because uh, geographically speaking it is. Uh, You have to ascend, you have to go up uh, the mount to get to Jerusalem. Um, Although on a map, Jerusalem is south of Antioch. So they head down from Antioch to Jerusalem, and there 
as they're going, they have to pass through Phoenicia, which is right against the Mediterranean Sea, and then also Samaria, which is the former capital of the nation of Israel. And in those places, as they go, and again, the gospel has reached these places. They're sharing with the churches in those places what's happened with the Gentiles off in Asia Minor. And there's great joy among the brothers to hear that news. And how true is this? I mean, when you hear somebody believes in Christ, doesn't it, doesn't it make you glad? I mean, we think of the struggles of the church in America right now and how our numbers here have been shrinking, and that is, that is a sadness to us. But then all of a sudden we hear, you know, the church isn't dying. And we look to Africa and we see how the church, even though it's being persecuted there, the church is exploding and new Christians are, are they're converting. We're, but brothers and sisters in Christ are, are coming to the church through the power of the gospel. And, and that just it gives us great joy to hear that. Uh, we rejoice in it, just as the angels do in heaven over one sinner who repents. Uh, this is good news. And so the church is rejoicing because the church is seeing people come to faith. And that's a wonderful thing. So they come down to Jerusalem and they declare to the apostles what has happened on their first missionary journey, all that God has done. And then the Pharisees rise up. We haven't seen the Pharisees in some time in the, in the New Testament, have we? The Pharisees believe in Jesus. Not all of them. This is some of the group of the Pharisees from before. And we know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would be two examples of that. Whether they're two examples still in this verse or not, I don't know. But some of the Pharisees who believe in Jesus now, they're still wrestling with their old idea of the law and how bound to the law they were in their life. They're having trouble letting that go. And so they stand up and argue that it's necessary to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. So really, as this plays out, the Jerusalem Council is going to declare three things. And you can talk to your kids about these too. Number one, who are God's people? That's going to be both Jew and Gentile, as we'll see in the text ahead. Number two, how are we saved? The answer to that is going to be in verse 11. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And number three, what laws must be followed? And that's going to be down in verse 20, and we'll talk about that here in just a bit. So the apostles, the elders, debate the matter. They talk about it together, and at some point in that discussion, Peter stands up. Now, it's interesting because Peter and Paul have had their falling out already. Um, the idea that... Peter has actually erred on this side already in his life. He's, he's been caught up in the circumcision party and their, their teachings uh, to the point of hurting the churches in Galatia. Well, not Galatia, but Paul's going to write to Galatia about it in Galatians 2. Galatians is written before this council occurs. And so might be the, new, the, the earliest written book of the New Testament, Galatians. But anyway... Um, Peter and Paul still have that, even though they had that argument, it, it appears they've been reconciled. At the very least, Peter is standing up for his brother Paul here and supporting what he's, he's saying. And he points out uh, that the Gentiles have come to faith, first by his preaching, by Peter's word, uh, as you think of Cornelius back in, was that chapter 10? 
um, just as the Holy Spirit was poured out on us, so the Spirit was given to them. Uh, there's no distinction. God has cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10 is, a, is a, a powerful one. Why are you putting God to the test? Which is not good, right? We don't want to do that in the first place. But how are they putting God to the test? They're placing a yoke. Uh, that that recalls the like the harness is a word we might use instead. But the basically the harness that's put on your oxen who's plowing your fields. You know, what you put around their neck. It's their burden to carry and to bear the labor that they're to do. And so why are you putting this labor on the disciples? Why are you making them do this thing that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So Peter pointing out, look, we have failed to keep this law. It's why Christ came, right? He fulfilled that law for us. And so why are you... Again, putting God to the test by making other disciples have to do this. I mean, they're harming other disciples with this teaching, essentially. And that puts God to the test. His patience to endure, to bear with them as they, they hurt others. But also just pointing out, we have failed to do this, so why make somebody else do it? Why put on somebody else's shoulders what you can't do? It's kind of the point here. The whole assembly falls quiet. They listen to Paul and Barnabas relate what's happened and the miracles. And then James stands up on their behalf. So James is the head of the church in Jerusalem at this point. He is the, the blood brother of, of Jesus. And he, he says Simeon, which is Simon Peter. And he notes that the Gentiles are now a people of God. That God has taken from the midst of the Gentiles a people for himself. To which I say, yay, fantastic, right? I'm in. I'm a Gentile, and yet the Lord has brought faith to us. He has, he has broadened the church to include even me. And this is good news. Verse 16 and 17 are a citation from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. As the, the prophet there is talking about God restoring a kingdom for himself. So we're not looking at the tent of David being a physical house here, but a family. The kingdom in which God worked. And so God is restoring for himself a kingdom, and he's going to do it through the remnant of mankind who will seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So there's an Old Testament quote from the prophets that talks about how the gospel is going to go to the Jews, the remnant, and the Gentiles which are, are Gentiles there. Um, Gentile, nation, same word in the Hebrew text. Uh, and in the New Testament, you can even add Greek into that midst. Uh, those words can be used interchangeably. So then uh, James puts forward what we should tell them to do. So what, what law do they have to follow? Here we, here we have it, verse 20. Abstain from idols from sexual immorality, and from strangling and blood. So as you hear those things, try to pair them up if you can with your kids with the commandments. Have your kids pair them off. What commandment is, is idols? And we would point to the first commandment, no, have no other gods. Um, for those of you who number your commandments different and actually have the second commandment as no carved images or idols, you'd point to that one, certainly. But we'd point to number one. 
in our in the Lutheran circles. And then with sexual immorality, that's the sixth commandment. You start talking about blood and strangling, you're talking about murder there, so we'd be talking about the fifth commandment. But it's not quite that actually in its its implications. Really at the end, all of these are first commandment issues. And we do talk that way about the commandments in general, that when you break one of them, whichever one it is, you've really broken the first, <laughs> you've broken all of them, um, because the first is to have no other idols, and if you're going to break one of the other commandments, you're making an idol out of something. Whether it's your anger, your lust, your, your greed, whatever it might be, you're making an idol out of something. But all of these are actually first commandment things. These are all about pagan worship. So, I mean, the idols one is hard to miss, right? They're, they're worshiping a false, false god. Sexual immorality, though, that in, in that time, in that culture, temple prostitution is a big thing. And a lot of the pagan ide ideologies that are around, you would actually go to a temple, they would have a field of prostitutes. Well, not a field. They would have a, a selection of prostitutes that you could, you could donate money to the temple so that you could spend your time with the prostitute and that was seen as a work that was somehow beneficial to you. It was earning you that God's favor um, in some way, shape, or form. And it varied depending on which, which false god you're talking about there. And then the third one, uh, the idea of, of strangling and blood here, from, from what I've been told, uh, some of the pagan practices, you actually drank blood, the lifeblood of another, and in doing so, some of their strength, some of their power was somehow conveyed to you in doing that act. And so these are pagan worship practices. So the, the instruction is going to be avoid breaking the first commandment, avoid having other gods. So that's the Jerusalem Council. We're going to read, we read their letter. But essentially, those three questions, who are God's people? Jew and Gentile. How are we saved? By grace alone by Jesus alone so you get the, the idea of it's not Jesus and something not Jesus and a work not Jesus and the law not Jesus and whatever but it's just Jesus it's just faith in Christ he saves he alone saves and then third what laws must be followed this is where you can make a distinction between the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament and the moral law which applies to all people uh, so what laws must be followed really we're just looking at the moral law or what we would call the Ten Commandments that's why we still have them in our small catechism today that God has set these for us as just general general instructions for how we live in this world in a way that loves our neighbor and loves the Lord as Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments into those two things love God and love your neighbor as yourself so we move on to the letter that they send so they send Judas and they send Silas along with Paul and Barnabas to go back to Antioch and also to take the letter to Syria, which is to the east of Antioch, and Cilicia, which is to the west of it, and that they would share these words with them. And so you get the words of the letter itself, which is pretty neat. Here's one of the oldest documents in the history of Christianity, and you've got it right there in front of you to read. They've heard the trouble that has come upon them. The, the instruction did not come from the apostles themselves. And that the apostles and the elders are in one accord. They have come to an agreement. 
They have sent that word by Paul and Barnabas, who have literally risked their lives for this gospel. Now that's a spot where we can stop and, and talk to our kids. As Paul and Barnabas risked their lives for the name of Jesus, have you also been called to that? Are you called to risk your life for Jesus? And the answer to that's actually yes. Um, Jesus talks that way in Matthew's gospel several times. Whoever seeks to gain his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or in John's gospel, another example where he says, no greater love has man as a man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So that is something we are called to. It's not to say you do so recklessly, um, but that you simply live out life serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, and sharing the gospel with them. And if that means that you end up dying because your neighbor hated the gospel proclamation, well, you get to be in paradise with Christ. So, no greater burden than this, and it's what we read back in verse 20, abstain from idols, from blood, from strangling, from sexual immorality. Again, worship the Lord alone. If you keep yourselves from false idols, you'll do well. So they've gathered the congregation together, which, you know, that opposes how many Christians today don't want to gather, um, but want to just be able to, you know, they believe they can live on their own apart from a church, just however they want to live. And we're called to live as a community, even if you don't necessarily have a physical building to gather in. It's, it's not necessary to be the church. The church is a community, uh, the gathering together of saints, brothers in Christ sisters in Christ. So the people read the letter, they rejoice at the encouragement of it. Judas and Silas stay for a while encouraging and strengthening the church, and then they go back off to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas continue to remain in Antioch, preaching and teaching. But at one point, uh, Paul then decides to invite Barnabas to go on a second missionary journey. And we get the purpose for it there in verse 36, to return to all the cities that they had started churches in, and see how they're doing. Barnabas and Paul get into their fight here. Barnabas wants to take Mark. Paul doesn't trust Mark. Mark is cousins with Barnabas, so there's a family tie there. But for Paul, Mark abandoned them in the midst of their last journey. He can't trust him as a worker um, at this point. Although they do reconcile, and later in Paul's life, uh, we see Mark with him again. So at this point, still a struggle. And so they separate. The duo, the dynamic duo here is, is divided. And Barnabas takes Mark. They go off to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' home. And then they, they, we see Paul taking Silas, and they head off to the north. Uh, they go through Syria and Cilicia to, to strengthen the churches. And that, that's going to take them also by Saul's home of Tarsus, which is up in that region too. Verse 